Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Welcome to the Fick Focus Podcast. This is a Macro Matters edition. I am Ira Jersey, the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. I'm going to discuss today a little bit of our views and also my recent trip out to the West Coast visiting customers, uh, mostly buy-side accounts, uh, real money, and um, and also a, a couple of others as well, um, mostly mutual funds and the like. So why don't we just get right into it then? Um, Basically, one of the big questions that I was asked about is what happens if there's no landing? So what if there is no recession? So Adam Wong and the Bloomberg economics team believes that there's going to be a recession later this this year and, and early next year. Um, and then the, the, that'll cause the Federal Reserve to start cutting rates modestly starting in the first quarter next year, which obviously is not currently being priced into the market as we record here on the 14th day of uh, September uh, 2023. Um, but if there is no landing, which I think that there is a non-trivial chance that the uh, economy sputters along, uh, we don't have significant downtick in inflation. We don't see um, we, we don't see losses of jobs in a situation like that. Then clearly, the Federal Reserve will probably be able to remain on hold and not begin cutting interest rates early, um, potentially even for all of 2024. In fact, um, I think the risk case to our economics team's view is that the um, is that you don't get job losses and you continue to have inflation on a, on a three-month annualized basis running a little bit above the Fed's comfort zone on a headline PCE basis, particularly with what's happened with oil prices of late, um, that the Federal Reserve will be, uh, will be comfortable keeping interest rates uh, a little bit above 5%, right? 5.5% or so on the upper bound. And that seems uh, that, that seems possible. For the rates market, that has some, some implications given what we're currently pricing. And in particular, not so much that you, you'll necessarily see bare uh, steepening of the yield curve, um, but there are certain parts of the market that could potentially uh, sell off uh, pretty decently, including the, the belly of the curve. So talking about the three-year and the five-year part of the curve. Um, the 10-year might hover right around where it is, four and a quarter percent, even at four percent, that wouldn't be a big surprise because my belief is that if we do sputter along and we don't have the the recession that is seems to be uh, not necessarily consensus, but certainly um, a large portion of market participants believe that we can have that uh, that that recession in in the first quarter of next year. If we don't get that, then I think ultimately the Federal Reserve will probably have to cut more aggressively later, and that's one reason why I think that you'll continue to have the inverted yield curve, um, and uh, we won't necessarily see any kind of massive. Uh, bull steepening of the yield curve where two-year yields, three-year yields do much better than, say, 10-year yields and 30-year yields. So we won't have that bull steepening until much later. And and the timing of when to start that is going to be incredibly important, um, particularly if you're a levered investor just because the carry on those trades is so onerous. Um, uh, obviously, if you're a real money investor, the carry in the front end of the curve is relatively attractive. And if you don't think that there's going to be a recession early next year, then you know owning the front end and, and rolling that over once or twice um, probably is not a is 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 not a bad uh, thing to to consider in terms of your uh, overall portfolio. Um, 
you know, at the, I think at the end of the day, uh, the, the the Federal Reserve uh, is not going to cut interest rates unless we get uh, inflation very close to their target. So you're talking about headline and core PC running at 0.2% per month on average, right? You know, you could have a 0.3 in there every once in a while, but basically running at uh, under 2.5% on a year on a year basis uh, or a three month annualized basis for a few months. And then uh, on top of that, you need to see job losses. I think in a perfect world, the Federal Reserve would be quite content to hold interest rates where they are in an environment where there is modest job creation, 50 to 100,000 jobs being created, and inflation being uh, continuing to come down slowly toward its target. I think that the Federal Reserve would be quite happy, even if the rest of the economy were to slow down. Um, that would not be a, a situation that would cause them to panic and to cut rates early, uh, and is the, one of the reasons why I think that, um, th- that the Fed could very well wait until much later than the market's currently pricing before it starts to cut very aggressively. So there's there's a lot of trades maybe to do in, in say, uh, 2023 and 2024 so far, particularly late in the year uh, in, in 2024 so far, um, but th- there's not necessarily um, uh, massive mispricing in the back end of the, of the yield curve. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, a, a question that I received in, in every single one of my meetings on, on the West Coast was about quantitative tightening and the Fed balance sheet. Uh, Chair Powell has mentioned on several occasions over the last few months that the Federal Reserve can continue to run off its balance sheet even if it's cutting. That is a sentiment that I wholeheartedly agree with. There, there's no reason technically why the uh, why the Fed couldn't be cutting rates and continuing to run off assets. But that being said, I think that that the quantitative tightening discussion at this point is independent from the monetary policy discussion. Um, and the way that I see the timing of this is, and, and the way that, that Will Hoffman uh, and I have done the analysis on this is re- very bottom up, looking at how many uh, reserves do the large banks in particular need to comply with some Basel III bank capital regulations. Those bank capital regulations, like the liquidity coverage ratio, require banks to hold a significant amount of high-quality liquid assets. Those high-quality liquid assets, a vast majority of them, about 80% or so of them, on average, are in the form of reserves. And um, so once you re- once those reserve balances go down to a point where liquidity coverage ratio becomes a binding constraint, then um, then liquidity is, and reserves are no longer ample. So the way that I look at the uh, reserve balances um, and reserves are a switch, right? There's no, there's a concept called the lowest comfortable level of reserves, but we call it a tipping point. Either there's enough reserves or there's not enough reserves. Go back and think about 2019, for example, where there were still trillions of dollars of bank reserves outstanding, uh, or well over a trillion anyway of bank reserves outstanding. Um, and all of a sudden we hit a point with just a 60 or $70 billion reserve drain on a single day, and you wound up having um, repo rate spike and and uh, and the like. This cycle will be significantly different, primarily because the Federal Reserve now has uh, another tool, the the uh, the standing repurchase agreement facility that will allow reserves to be added on demand as financial institutions need them. So the way that I see this timing going is that come next April or May of 2024, uh, after you have some of the the uh, the bank term funding program starts to roll off along with a few other um, uh, things that will just like fall off very quickly and drop reserves by a couple of hundred billion dollars in very short order. Once those roll off, um, you wind up with reserves probably hitting that tipping point, uh, and then you start to see an increase in in use and and uh, and and 
slowly rising standing repo facility as banks start to um, need to add back some reserves. Once that occurs, I think that the at the next Federal Reserve meeting, whether that's the May meeting or the June meeting, it's, is a little bit unclear now uh, because we don't know exactly uh, how quickly reserves are going to be drained because of other factors that I'm not going to go into here. But once we reach that, I think that the Federal Reserve goes into uh, that meeting. They ask the New York Fed uh, open market desk staff what are our options to deal with the fact that we're no longer at ample reserves, that we're below the lowest comfortable level of reserves? The New York Fed will then make a couple of different suggestions, including lowering the RP rate and some other things. But ultimately, what's going to be clear is that the lowest hanging fruit is probably going to be uh, just ending quantitative tightening altogether and stopping their assets. So at the next meeting, after the standing repo facility starts to be utilized meaningfully, the New York Federal Reserve will be asked to present to the Federal Open Market Committee at their next meeting, whether that's May or June is is still unclear because that will depend on obviously when we reach that reserve tipping point. and the, uh, the New York Fed will present a number of different options. One of those options is likely to be a reduction in the, in the reverse repo facility rate. That has other issues that I'm not going to go into here, um, but I don't think that they'll, they'll do that. And it'll become clear that the only viable option really is to going to be to end quantitative tightening or let the standing repo facility continue to rise very significantly. Now, I'm not sure, I don't think the Federal Reserve will want the standing repo facility to continue to climb in perpetuity just to reduce the amount of treasury and and agency back mortgage-backed securities off of their portfolio. Um, I think they're okay with 300, 400, 500 billion dollars in the standing repo facility, but but I think that they would much prefer to uh, just allow their uh, allow their balance sheet to run off up to a point where they can they can then stop uh, stop the runoff because of the the uh, the lack of uh, reserve drain that that's necessary. So at at that point, um, I think that there'll be a full court press. They'll continue to talk about um, ending quantitative tightening. How that's an independent move from monetary policy. If the Fed has not yet started to cut interest rates before they reach that reserve tipping point, then I think that they'll say like, look, this doesn't mean that we're cutting interest rates anytime soon. This is not a shift in monetary policy. We're doing this for financial stability reasons. And we're doing this to ensure that the uh, that the banking sector has the reserves and liquidity that it needs for, uh, for, for proper functioning. Um, and I think you get a full court press out there. You get, you know, Dallas Fed President Lori Logan, who was at the New York Fed for a long time, talks about that. Uh, you'll, you'll obviously get Jay Powell, John Williams, like all of the people who you really care about, um, uh, you know, talking about this, um, that, that QT is not a monetary policy decision uh, if they end it. Then how do they end it? I, I think that they then end it at the next meeting. They announce it. So that means that the standing repo facility could go go up and you know, maybe get to half a trillion dollars, something like that, potentially uh, over, over the course of six, eight, 10 weeks, uh, somewhere around there before the Federal Reserve stops runoff. Uh, when it does runoff, I do think that they'll continue to run off their mortgage portfolio and then reinvest those proceeds back into treasuries. So the Fed will be net buyers of treasury securities uh, in the open market, and uh, but but while they're allowing mortgages to run off. They've done this in the past, number one. And number two, there still is the stated policy goal for the Federal Reserve to get to a treasury-only portfolio. And in order to do that, obviously, they need to continue to run off their mortgage portfolio. So the only time that I think that they would stop their mortgage uh, their mortgage runoff might be if, uh, if they thought that they needed 
to ease monetary policy even more aggressively, and they wanted to uh, try to get the mortgage basis and and mortgage rates uh, significantly lower than they are at whatever point of time that is. But I do think that there'll be some period of time that they'll continue to run off the mortgage portfolio. Um, okay, so those are the big questions that I was asked, uh, other than one other thing, which was the deficits and supply of U.S. treasuries. And to that, while I was on the road and on, on the West Coast, uh, Will Hoffman noted some uh, you know shifts. We got the data from the August, um, the, the August uh, deficit report. And I'm going to go to Will Hoffman, who's my associate in interest rate strategy, who, you know, Will, you know, th- there was a positive deficit, but or I should say there was a surplus in August, which doesn't happen. You know, what happened and why is that wrong? Hey, Ira. Thank you for having me, as always. Good to be in the hot seat for once. Um, So there was a headline that floated across late yesterday afternoon saying that for the first time in several decades, um, there was an $89 billion surplus for the month of August in 2023. And now August typically reflects a budget deficit. Uh, as there are no major tax dates due throughout the month. In fact, 68 of the last 69 years, this has been the case. Um, However, this $89 billion uh, surplus on the month was driven entirely by the reversal of the impacts of the $319 billion of student debt relief in late last year. I believe it was end of September that it came through. And so as this non-cash expense was reversed, we actually saw a material surplus for the month, which was not exactly true. And we did see quite a few questions on how this impacts supply and all the, I believe, deluge is the word we've been using, um, of T-bills and coupon securities throughout the end of this year and next. And how does this affect that? The short answer is it does not. Um, This still reflects in the month of August a 200 plus billion dollar deficit, um, and that will need to be funded. And at this point, our expectations are for $2 trillion of additional marketable debt to be issued through the end of calendar year 2024, which still appears intact based on uh, TBAC advisor advisory through this at this point. Great. Well, thanks very much. And I, I think it's it's interesting to note that you know you do have cash versus non-cash items that occur on uh, on a monthly basis. So when we do our funding need for, uh, for what the Treasury Department has to issue, that's obviously the cash need. Um, so we do back out some of the non-cash things that occur, um, as well as take into account things like non-marketable debt and what's going on with non-marketable debt. For example, pay downs and reduction of the Social Security Trust Fund, um, that is a non-market, there's non-marketable debt in there that once that is used in order to pay Social Security recipients, that needs to be funded by the general public. That's one reason why you wind up seeing public debt uh, continuing to go up, uh, even at a faster pace sometimes, and you see the overall deficit going up on any given month or even year. So, so that's something important to keep in mind. Um, also, you know, let, maybe I should just mention our view on the deficit going forward. So we do think that the deficit is going to remain around $1.5 trillion over uh, fiscal 2024, which ends at the end of September 2024. But thereafter, and especially if uh, the Republicans can maintain control of the House of Representatives and the Democrats control uh, control the Senate, almost regardless of who controls the White House, um, at that point, we'll ha- wind up continuing to have split government. And one of the things when we think about how partisan Congress has become, in fact, I, I like to mention that Congress is the most partisan it's been since the third Congress when John Adams was president and they were debating the Alien and Sedition Acts. Um, 
it's not a huge surprise just given what you see on TV and what you hear from all these politicians yelling and ranting and raving. But it's very possible that um, that we'll have some political stalemates and we won't get a significant amount of budget increases. We won't have fiscal stimulus. We won't have uh, we'll have Republicans continuing to try to be fiscally responsible. Democrats may be pushed trying to push back against that a little bit, particularly if they maintain the White House. Um, and at that, uh, because of that, I do think that we can see somewhat lower deficits come 2020. 2026 and, and 2027. Now, um, will it be significantly lower than a trillion dollars? I don't think so. A trillion dollars probably is kind of the right number, but as a percentage of GDP and as a percentage of revenue, it would probably start to come down just a little bit. We also have uh, some fiscal retrenchment because some things from the Inflation Reduction Act and the Biden fiscal stimulus from 2021, some of those are, are still in the pipeline and being that money is being spent now. So that will, uh, will start to be reduced over the next couple of years as well. Well, so, um, so so we will see a little bit of a of a pullback in, in some of the fiscal uh, push that we're getting both in the economy and, and certainly from the deficit perspective. Uh, one of the other things to keep in mind is that as we go on, as interest rates are higher, as the government refinances its its two year notes and three year notes and even five year notes now that basically have very low coupons from that were issued say in twenty twenty uh, in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, as those start to get uh, reissued at significantly higher coupons, plus we have the continued deficit, interest as a percentage of federal spending will go up. So Will Hoffman just mentioned to me a, a minute, moment ago that if, that interest payments are now about 10% of federal spending. Um, you add to that things like Social Security and Medicare payments, and you're talking about just a little bit under half of all federal spending goes to those programs. You add then, say, the, say defense spending to that, and you see that the fiscal flexibility of Congress uh, – uh, to, uh, to to adjust its spending of its uh, of its domestic needs in particular um, and its non discretionary spending uh, or its discretionary spending I should say is actually quite low um, and and though as interest payments continue to rise as a share of the government's outlays um, it'll just get the that that uh, you know they're discretionary spending adjustments are going to wind up being um, you know, less, uh, l- less practical unless you wind up having some kind of fiscal stimulus later, uh, which could have meaningful effects on, on supply. Um, that is a question that we received from a couple of different, um, uh, a couple of different uh, uh, buy side investors over the last couple of days, which was, you know, how much does supply matter? Um, so supply matters. The problem is, is that you, you can't determine um you know how much supply really matters uh, on a uh, in in terms of basis points or percentage. So that the way that I like to say this is like if uh, if you wind up in a situation where uh, deficits are going up because the economy is flagging and you have um, significant slowdown in inflation and as well as economic activity, um, you tend to get higher demand for treasuries. So and that demand overwhelms the amount of additional supply that you're getting and that drives yields lower and you wind up getting um, get, getting a big rally in the treasury market. Um, the last couple of, uh, of fiscal stimuli that we've received, including the Inflation Reduction Act and the Biden stimulus and even the 20 2017 uh, tax cuts that were done by the Trump administration when the Republicans held held Congress. Um, those are uh, those were done during times when the economy was relatively good and and 
during then uh, during those periods, I do think that the additional supply definitely was was a bit of a drag on uh, on on the economy and uh, th- not even on the economy, but but definitely on the market. And that's one reason why, as there was more duration being sold during those periods, that you saw a sell off in in the rates market. So we're at time now, and I would like to thank Will Hoffman for coming back on the Fic Focus podcast. I'm Ira Jersey. Uh, thanks very much for listening. If you have any uh, topics or questions that you'd like us to uh, to discuss on the podcast, please hit us up on the Bloomberg Terminal. Next week, we'll have a, another uh, a, another episode uh, reviewing the Federal Reserve meeting, the September Federal Reserve meeting, and and thereby kind of previewing what we think the Federal Reserve is going to do in November and, and maybe December, given where pricing now is. Until next time, be well. Thank you.